This is Second Bible reading, Matthew chapter two, verse one to twelve. You can find the pew Bible on page nine hundred thirty-four. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, "Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews?" We saw his star in the east, and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called all together, when he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Christ was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler, who will be the shepherd of my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly, and found out from them the exact time the star has appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, "Go and make a careful search for the child. As soon as you find him." Report to me, so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen in the east went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures. And presented him with gifts of gold and of incense and of myrrh, and having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. This is word of the Lord. Thank you. Uh, well, for those of you who haven't who I haven't met,、uh, my name is Ollie. I've got the privilege and honour of sharing from God's word with you today. So it'd be great if you could keep your Bible open. We'll be engaging with the text the whole way through.、Uh, so it'd be good if you could keep that open. I'm going to thank God for the time we've got, and then we'll make a start. So let's pray and thank God. Our dear heavenly Father, we thank you for the gift of your word, and particularly we thank you that we have it in English in our language.、Uh, it's such a privilege and an honour. Help us to appreciate it in the way that we should. Please help us. Please help us now as we study your word. Please pour your Holy Spirit out amongst us, and please help Him to be active, and convicting and encouraging us as we look at your word. Please help us to understand Matthew chapter two, and to apply it to our lives. And we pray in Jesus' name, Amen. Well, it's two weeks after New Year's, and so do you know what that means? It means that. You have already given up on your New Year's resolution, or if you haven't, then you will soon. They never last long, do they? New Year's resolutions—they only last a couple of weeks at best into the new year. A few years ago, I don't know what I was thinking, but my New Year's resolution was that I was going to go for a five-kilometre sprint every single day. I don't know what I was thinking. It seemed like a good idea at the time, but that's what I did. And so, do you know what I noticed as I was doing it? Only lasted about a month or so, but you know what I noticed? On the first day, there were people absolutely everywhere. It was like trying to 
jog through the middle of the city, just people that I'm having to dodge all over the place. But by about the 3rd or 4th of January, there were about half the number of people. By about the 10th of January, there was about maybe a fifth of the number of people. And by the 15th of Jan, there was just no one. It was like a ghost town. I was the only one out there. I, of course, I gave up after a month as well, but at least I outlasted most of them. Uh, my New Year's resolution for this year is to not eat much sugar. Uh, we were at a wedding last night and I reckon I drank about six cups of Coke, so I'm not sure that's going well so far, but uh, that was at least what I'm attempting to do. But you may have come up with a New Year's resolution. So maybe your New Year's resolution is that you're going to eat healthy and exercise this year. You're finally going to get that beach body that you want to get. Or maybe your New Year's resolution is something to do with work. This year will be the year for work. You'll get a better job, a job that you enjoy more, that's happy, that makes you happier. Or maybe your New Year's resolution is to do with study. This will be the year you put effort into your study, that you do all the homework, that you start studying for your exams earlier than the day before the exam. Or maybe it's something else. And so all of those things are good things, aren't they? It's good to be in, in shape and healthy. It's good to have to enjoy your work. It's good to study well. They're all good things, but you know what? They're not the most important thing. They're not the most important thing. They're not what we should be mainly focusing on this year. What should we be focusing on then? Well, what's, what we should be focusing on is Jesus. Jesus is more important. Why? Because Jesus has eternal significance. Jesus has eternal significance. See, being in shape, being healthy is a good thing, but it doesn't have eternal significance. Having a job I enjoy is a good thing, but it doesn't have eternal significance. Only what we do with Jesus has eternal significance. Because Jesus offers us eternal life. Jesus offers to take away the pain and the sickness and the sadness that we face in this world. Jesus offers eternal life. And so today we're thinking about the question, what do I do with Jesus? What do I do with Jesus this year? To do so, we'll be looking at Matthew chapter 2. We heard it read out for us before, verses 1 to 12. Now, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, Ollie, that's a Christmas passage. Why are we looking at it now? Christmas was a few weeks ago. And yes, I know Christmas was a few weeks ago. But you know what? This is not actually a Christmas passage. For starters, it didn't actually happen at Christmas time. Often we think that the wise man visited baby Jesus just as he was born, but that's not actually what we see in the passage. See, we know that the wise man visited up to two years after Jesus was born. The word that's used here for Jesus is not baby, it's child. And the, the word used for where they're at at the moment is not, um, it's not in a stable, it's in a house. So this happens up to two years after Jesus was born. So it's not actually a Christmas passage. But on top of that, even more importantly, it's not just a Christmas passage because it has information that's relevant for us now. It tells us something important that's for now, not just at Christmas time. And that information is what we should do with Jesus, how to handle Jesus, how to interact with Jesus. 
Because remember, that's what we should be focusing on this year, Jesus and what we do with him. And so in our passage, we see a number of different responses to Jesus. We see the wise men who seek and worship Jesus. We see King Herod who seeks but doesn't worship Jesus. And we see the Jews and their religious leaders who don't seek or worship Jesus. And so that's what we'll see as we work through Matthew chapter 2. Well, firstly, the wise men, or in some translations, they're called magi. So who are these magi? Who are these wise men? Well, basically, they're these strange kind of religious, Eastern religious leaders. They were a mix between astrologers and astronomers. Basically, they kind of looked at the stars and tried to figure out things, tried to predict what was happening based off that. They were greatly feared because they did things like cut animals open, pull their organs out and use those in their kind of weird rituals and things that they did. But they were also highly respected because they were seen as kingmakers. So they'd often attend the coronations of kings to kind of give their approval. So it was a good thing if they came along to your uh, king's coronation. And so they're these kind of weird mix of feared but respected foreign religious leaders and kingmakers. And what do they do with Jesus? Well, we see them seek Jesus and we see them worship Jesus. It starts off with them seeking Jesus. And we know the story well, don't we? Uh, we see it on Christmas cards, we see it on TV, we sing songs about it. We've got this picture of three wise men coming along, kind of sneaking into the city, somehow getting an audience with the king, and then kind of sneaking out again. We know the story well. But unfortunately, that's not the story that the Bible actually presents of them. For starters, the king doesn't just give out audiences to any old visitor, does he? The king would only give out, King Herod would only give out audiences to the most special, the most important uh, guests. And when they come here, they don't come quietly, they cause a stir. The whole of Jerusalem is in an uproar. And the passage doesn't say how many there were, but there were almost certainly more than three, maybe ten. Maybe 20, maybe 100, we don't know. But we know that there was enough to cause a stir. And so they come marching into Jerusalem. Imagine how intimidating this would have been if you're just a normal Jerusalem citizen and you see them come marching in. There's these weird kingmakers from the east. They're on top of giant horses or camels. They've got big turbans on their head. They're dressed in the finest of silks, holding a big staff or something. They've maybe got gold jewellery all over them. Imagine how intimidating that would be. Of course, they wouldn't come alone, would they? It's a long journey from out the east to Jerusalem. It's a long and dangerous journey. So they would have had soldiers and bodyguards with them, big guys on big horses with big weapons, helmets, spears, um, shields, all shining in the sun. Would have been intimidating. And of course, it's a long journey. So they would have had a lot of supplies with them. They would have had donkeys or horses or camels all loaded up with supplies for the journey. It's no wonder that they come in and cause a stir. And everyone would have looked at them and known these guys have come seeking something. They've come looking for something. And straight away, we see that it's Jesus they were coming for. Straight away, we find out that's what they're seeking. Have a look at verses 1 to 2. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? 
We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. So they go through all this effort and cost to seek Jesus. And it would have cost them a lot, wouldn't it? It cost them the cost of financing it all. This would have been an expensive enterprise to take. It, takes them, it costs them the energy cost of travelling halfway across the known world. And it costs them time, doesn't it? It would have taken a long time, months, maybe years to get there. There's a lot of cost involved, but they do it to seek Jesus. What do they do with Jesus? Well, they seek him no matter what the cost. But that's not all. They don't just seek Jesus, do they? They also worship Jesus. As the story continues, they find out where Jesus is. Have a look at verses 9 to, 9 to 10. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. Imagine how relieved they would have been. Months worth of travel through hardships, stony deserts, not much water. Imagine you finally reach your destination. Imagine how relieved they are. So it's no wonder they're overjoyed. They've finally found Jesus. They've finally found the king they're looking for. And so they go inside to meet the king. And did you notice what they do then once they find this king? Have a look at verse 11. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense and myrrh. They worshipped him. But what does that mean? What does that mean that they worshipped him? Well, we see two things from the passage, don't we? We see two things that it means. Firstly, it means them bowing down to him as king. They bow down to him. Imagine what a sight that would have been. These stately, imposing men, all decked out in nice silks, oiled beard, jewellery around their neck and fingers, and they come before a mere child and bow down to him. Imagine how unusual that would have been to see. Bowing the knee to a young child, worshipping a young child. I wonder what we would have thought if we saw it. It would be so strange. It would be a bit like one of the high court judges coming before a child in his big wig and in his big clothing, gown and with his big hammer, coming before a toddler and bowing down to him. It would be just so strange, so unexpected. It's just completely bizarre. And again, there's cost involved, isn't there? The cost of pride, of having to bow down to a kid. And then that cost is emphasised next. And the second point, isn't it? They also give gifts, expensive gifts. Did you notice what they give? They give gold, frankincense and myrrh. Now, these are all expensive gifts. They're not the kind of gifts you give to the son of a carpenter. They're the kind of gifts you give to a king. So they come before Jesus and they worship him by bowing down to him and giving gifts. The whole scene's so strange, isn't it? It's not what we expect to happen. So why do they do it? Why do they bow down before this king? Why do they give him gifts? Well, it's all about them acknowledging Jesus as king, worshipping him as king. So what do the wise men do with Jesus? They seek Jesus. And they worship Jesus, even at great cost to themselves. They acknowledge Jesus as king. 
Well, that's the first group. We then meet the second character in our story. And that guy is Herod, the guy who's currently king of Jerusalem. Imagine being him here. You're sitting in your palace, enjoying being king. Being king's a good job. You've got attendants to serve you, get back massages whenever you want. You've got the softest bed in the country. You've got the best food. Being king is a great job. You're sitting there enjoying being king. When all of a sudden, one of your attendants comes bursting in. And he tells you, so there's been a big commotion. These weird magi, these weird kingmakers have come from the east. And they're saying, a new king has been born. Imagine what you've been thinking. You're like, there can't be a new king, I'm king. And so it's no wonder that it causes a stir, and it's no wonder that King Herod's quite shocked by this. Have a look at verse 3. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all of Jerusalem with him. See, Herod hears it, and he's concerned for his position. And we know that Herod was absolutely ruthless in his desire to stay king. In fact, he was so well known for being ruthless in his desire to stay king that there was a saying about King Herod. There was a saying that said, better to be King Herod's pig than to be his son. And that is because he'd kill off even his own son rather than lose being king. Better to be a pig slopping around in the mud than be King Herod's son. And we know that he did kill off people. We know that he killed off three of his sons. He killed off his wife. He killed off his mother-in-law. He killed off his brother-in-law. He killed his uncle. This was a guy who'd kill anyone who got in his way to staying king. That's the kind of man we're dealing with. So what does Herod do with Jesus? Well, interestingly, Herod seeks Jesus too. This violent, ruthless king seeks Jesus too. See, straight away, once the wise men have come to him, he asks the Jewish priests and teachers of the law where the king will be born. Verses 4 to 5. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied. See, they tell him it'll be in Bethlehem. And notice what he does next. He wants the Magi to seek Jesus and then tell him where Jesus is. Verse 7. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me, so that I too may go and worship him. See, King Herod seeks Jesus too. He wants to find this new king. Is that what you expected? It's definitely not what I expected. So is Herod to be admired then? Is Herod someone we should be looking up to? He seeks Jesus. We said seeking Jesus is a good thing. Well, it all lies in what he does when he finds Jesus, isn't, doesn't it? We saw when the wise men found Jesus, they then worshipped Jesus. What does Herod do when he finds Jesus? Well, he definitely doesn't worship him. We see as we continue on what Herod does. We get a glimpse of it here in verse 12. Have a look. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, the wise men returned to their country by another path. What are the wise men warned not to do? Go back to Herod. Why? Because Herod's going to kill Jesus. If he finds out where he is, he's going to kill Jesus. And we see that. It's not in our passage. It's a few verses later in verse 16. But we see that that's what Herod attempts to do. 
and because he doesn't know where Jesus is, because the wise man didn't go back to him, instead he just tries to kill any baby under the age of two. That's such a horrifying thing to do, isn't it? But it fits in with who King Herod is. That's what he is. He's ruthless in his desire to hold his position. He'll kill anyone who gets in his way. And so what do we see in King Herod? Well, we see that seeking Jesus isn't enough. Just seeking Jesus is not enough. We also need to respond correctly to him. We need to worship Jesus as well as seek Jesus. See, it's not enough to just be interested in Jesus, not enough to just find out information about Jesus. We also need to bow down to him as king. Let him be the king of our lives. See, Herod didn't want that. He was king. He didn't want to let go of being king. He didn't want anyone else to be king. See, what does Herod do? What does Herod do with Jesus? He rejects him. And then our final group, the Jews, and particularly the Jews' religious leaders. See, these are God's people. These are the ones that God made promises to. These are the ones that God promised to send their king to. So these are the ones that should be waiting for Jesus. These are the ones that should be the most excited about it. So how do we expect them to respond? What do we expect them to do with Jesus? I think we expect them to be excited. As soon as they hear the wise men, as soon as they see the wise men come, we expect them to be first out the door, trying to find this baby who's been born. Even more so, these are the religious leaders of the Jews that we see in our passage. So these are the chief priests and the teachers of the law. So these are the pastors, the ministers, the elders, the board of session. These are their leaders. They should be the first of the first to go and look for Jesus. But notice what they do instead. Notice what the chief priests do with Jesus. Nothing. They do nothing. See, Herod comes to them and he says, where will this baby be born? And so being the religious leaders, they know the scripture, they know the Old Testament like the back of their hand. They don't need to look it up, they can just quote it off the top of their head. They're like, oh yeah, that's Micah, chapter 5, verse 2. And then they're able to recite it off the top of their head. We see verse 6. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means the least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a king who will shepherd my people, Israel. See, they know exactly where this king is coming from. They've got it in the Old Testament. They know he'll come from Bethlehem. See, they have all of the knowledge they need, but they don't do anything. See, the least they could have done was go and check it out. If they've been waiting for this promised king, the least they could do is go and check it out. What bigger sign could they ask for? These weird religious leaders who are king makers coming all the way from the east. What bigger sign do they want? So the least they could have done is gone and checked it out. If it turned out to be false, well, at least they looked. But they don't even do that. They do nothing. It's there, staring them in the face, right before their eyes, so obvious. And yet they do nothing. They don't seek or worship Jesus. So what do the chief priests do with Jesus? Nothing. What a sad response to the king. Well, that's Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 to 12. We've seen a number of different responses to Jesus, haven't we? 
We've seen the wise men who seek and worship Jesus. We've seen Herod who seeks but doesn't worship. And then we've seen the Jews who don't seek or worship Jesus. And so the question we need to reflect on then is what will we do with Jesus? Which character in the story will we be like? Will we be like the Jews who have it right there in front of them? Who have all the information they need but miss it? Who miss the blindingly obvious? A few years ago I was at my parents' house and my dad was looking for his keys. He literally spent about 30 minutes looking for his keys. He moved everything from around the bench. He took all the, ca- all the um, cushions off the couch to check if it had fallen underneath there. He unpacked his whole bedside table to check if it had somehow fallen in there. And do you know where he eventually found his keys? Do you know where after 30 minutes of looking, he found his keys? They were in his pocket the whole time. He spent 30 minutes looking for keys he already had. How ridiculous is that? But imagine if that's what we were like with Jesus. We've got him right there in front of our eyes. All the information we need to know right in front of our eyes. Yet we somehow missed it. Imagine if we were like the chief priests here, the religious leaders, who did nothing with Jesus. How sad would that be to miss out on the gift of eternal life when it's sitting there right in front of our eyes? That can't be us this year. Or will we be like Herod, who's interested in Jesus, who seeks Jesus, but ultimately can't let go of being king of his own life? He wants to stay king and so he rejects Jesus. I used to have a friend who I had lots of conversations with about Christianity. He was extremely interested. He was keen and always wanting to learn about Jesus. And so I was quite sure that eventually it was just a matter of time until he eventually became a Christian. But one day, kind of out of the blue, he said to me, Ollie, what's the deal with sex? Can Christians have sex outside of marriage? This caught me a little bit off guard. I wasn't expecting the question. So I obviously told him what the Bible says, that sex is for marriage and so when I told him that he said to me he said I'm not interested then Christianity is not for me and so from that day onward no matter how much I tried to have conversations with him about Christianity he just wasn't interested he just didn't want to let go of being king of his own life of making the decisions for himself how sad that unless things change for him he'll miss out on the gift of eternal life because he couldn't let go of being king of his own life. Because he couldn't let go of control. He couldn't let Jesus be king. How sad is that? Imagine if that was us, unable to let go of being king, unable to let Jesus be king. And so if we missed out on the gift of eternal life, just because we want to say king. That can't be us this year. Imagine it's... Imagine instead, though, if we were like the wise men who seek and worship Jesus. So as we start a new year, as we reflect on what's important for the year ahead, as we think about what we'll be aiming for, imagine if we were like the wise men. Imagine if we put Jesus first this year. Because exercise is great. 
being healthy and cutting out fatty foods is good. Getting a new job is good. All of these are good things. But none of them have the eternal significance that Jesus does. Because Jesus is the eternal king, the one who died in our place so that we might get eternal life if we bow the knee to him as king. What do we do with Jesus? Well, we seek Jesus and we worship Jesus because he's the king that offers eternal life. And so I want all of us to reflect now on what we're going to do this year, what we'll do with Jesus this year. What will the year look like with Jesus? What will the year look like bowing our knee to him as king, worshipping him, living lives of service? Well, there's countless ways that it could look like. There's countless things that you might do. But ultimately, it's using our lives to honour Jesus. One thing that I want to do this year, and you might like to do as well, is to do what we're challenged about on church camp. And that is to pray and ask God that he'd use us this year to save one person. That through us, one person would come to know him as king. Imagine if we all did that. How many people might come to know Jesus? How many people might get eternal life? How amazing would that be? Imagine if this year we lived lives of worship to King Jesus that honoured him and served him. What a great year would this year be. I'm going to pray and ask God that he'd help us to seek and worship him and that we'd have a great year ahead. Let's pray. Dear merciful Heavenly Father, we thank you for sending Jesus, this eternal king, into our world. We thank you for the example of the wise men who were seeking and worshipping Jesus. Please help us to be like that this year. Help us to seek and worship you. Help us to live with Jesus as king of our lives. Help us to let go of control. Help us not to be like Herod. And help us not to miss the blaringly obvious like the Jewish leaders. Instead, help us to live lives in service of you this year. We pray that through that, you'd then bless us with eternal life. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.